Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of You're Wrong with me, David Harsani, Senior Editor at The Federalist, and Molly Hemingway, Editor-in-Chief of The Federalist. How is it going, Molly? It's going great. It is the end of summer. I love my summers. This has been a nice long one. School starts next week for the kiddos. I'm just loving life. That sounds great. I'm loving life, too. Summer you're is em- wonderful. You're empty nesting. Yeah, it's a bit tough and a bit, you know, takes some getting used to, uh, you know, when you have kids for, you know, 18, 19 years and all of a sudden you don't know what to do on weekends when you're by yourself. I did find it interesting when I like saw you for the first time in a couple of years this spring, you seem to have more energy, more like spring in your step in a while. And your wife suggested it was because the kids were older and you just had like time to do what you wanted to do and you were making your own decisions and everything was kind of fun. And it made me look forward because I love my kids so much and I don't want them to leave. But then I was like, oh, you kind of get this new lease on life when they leave. So I've noticed with certain writers or artistic types that they kind of in their 50s sometimes have this burst of energy and they become really prolific. <laughs> now I, I realize why, you know, you have a lot more time on your hands. So it's it's sad and what, you know, it's bittersweet. And um, but yeah, well, and thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for saying I have a burst of energy, which makes me feel like you think I was lazy for all those years we were together. <laughs> You just seemed you had like a you had strong old man energy for a few years. <laughs> it does. It comes on fast. I've, I've had gray hair since my late twenties. I've always sort of had a little bit of that and crankiness. But anyway, let's talk about uh, some political stuff. I think that's why the people are here. I wanted to maybe start with these insane strategy, I guess, that the White House White House has embraced over the past couple of days or maybe a week where the president of the United States goes, goes out and basically calls people who vote for the opposition fascists, threatens to bomb them with N15, F-15s. Uh, it just seems like, like, a, like, a, like unprecedented to me. I can't, and, and you mentioned this, and I want to get into that on Fox News, something similar, but I just can't think of another president, president, who's attacked not the other party or leaders of the other party, but the constituents of the other party with this sort of rhetoric and language. I couldn't believe that he was calling half the country fascist. And I totally understand. And I usually, I don't really care that people get real hyperbolic when they're speaking politically, but this is really horrible to describe half the country that you're president of as fascist. It's not even just saying like they're misguided or they you don't agree with their policies or you wish they could see that your policies were better, but it's really extreme, horrible rhetoric. And I had said, yeah, on TV, I'd said, I thought it was like worse than the worst thing Donald Trump had ever said. And people on the left were, were saying, can you believe she's saying that? And there was this one guy on the left who's at the bulwark or the dispatch, I forget which one, um, who said, I wonder if she would say this if Donald Trump had personally insulted her, like if if she would still say that. And I thought, of course I would say the same thing. Of course it's worse to call half the country um, fascist than to call me a whore or something, whatever his example was. 
I could not believe that there would even be a question whether it's worse to insult one journalist or one pundit than half the country as fascist. But it gave me this little like window into the mind of a crazy never Trumper that they really are so upset about having been, you know, alleged to not have pants to wear or whatever, that they have so personalized their conflict with Trump that they are unable to think clearly about what's actually important in political rhetoric and whether it's worse for, you know, Biden to call half the country fascist than the rest. But you had an epic rant about fascism. Well, first of all, I I agree with what you just said, but I want to add to that. Joe Biden, never Trumper supported him, was supposed to be the grown-up, was supposed to bring back decorum and gravitas to, to the presidency, right? And he's out there calling people semi-fascist. So, you know, this whataboutism, which I'm not actually against, uh, you know, in, in you know, theoretically, is is doesn't really explain or excuse what Joe Biden did, even if you believe that it was, you know, that Trump did worse. That's first of all. But yeah, I mean, my my view on this, so I too am not. You know, I don't melt down over some some you know some overblown rhetoric by politicians. So I think it's it's very unpresidential what he's doing. But I I did think it was kind of funny, and I, I think it needs to be pointed out that this was he said that a few days after he unilaterally decreed and forgave or you know quote unquote forgave student loans like some sort of dictator to buy some votes. I mean, is it not not fascistic? I mean, this is just a few uh, you know. But days after we learned that the FBI had, had instructed a giant corporation to uh, to censor a story that would have gotten, you know, would have undermined the, the candidacy, candidacy of their of their of their, uh, you know, preferred candidate. These are fascism in reality is the, is is government corporations working together in this sort of way in a uni party system or whatever the word for that is. When I when I read never Trumpers, when I read Democrats, it seems to me they do want one party in this country. They do not want debate. They want to censor debate. These things, let's say, I don't want to call them fascist, but these are fascistic ideas, far more fascistic than anything that's on the Trump agenda, at least from my perspective. Right. That's so you look back at the history of Joe Biden's rhetoric. He's not known for being a particularly nice guy in his public rhetoric, unless you think it's nice to accuse Mitt Romney of seeking to enslave, re-enslave the black population of the United States of America, as he did, you know, and never really had to deal with any repercussions from that type of claim. He's kind of known for being a jerk. You know, this was one of the problems when he was on the campaign trail when he first ran for president back in the 1980s. He was attacking voters who you know, had really reasonable questions. He continued to do that even through 2020. But the corporate media and other people who ran Biden's campaign claimed he was going to be this great unifier, that he was moderate, that he loved. You know, it was just we're, we we're going to finally be done with the mean rhetoric and the mean tweets. And that's not what happened, obviously. But like you, I hate that people use fascist as a slur to mean like people I don't like, you know, like a college kid whose dad has just told her that she's cut off from like an outrageous expense plan. Fascist is a word with actual meaning. And when you think about, you know, it can be different in different countries, but when you think about how it frequently means the joining of corporation, corporate interests with the ruling party, 
we have some of these elements in our culture right now, and it is very terrifying. You know, it's not just the FBI asking Mark Zuckerberg to meddle in the election for their favorite candidate. They asked every social media company, and every social media company complied with that request from the police, from the FBI, um, to meddle in the election. And they routinely were taking orders from the Democrat Party about who to censor and who to who to harm their freedom of expression on all sorts of issues from like COVID to election related issues. And as you know, the you know, the, the buy off attempt with the student loan having um, taxpayers, middle class taxpayers pay off the student loans of wealthy kids. These are things that uh, in a free country you should be worried about and are much, I mean, they're not making the case (laughs) that their political opponents are fascist. And if anything, they are much more aligned with their own fascism. Yeah, I mean, fascism, the word doesn't really mean anything anymore. The same way democracy doesn't really mean anything more. It's just democracy is when Democrats don't get their way. Fascism is when someone else uses the powers that they already use. You know, these words have lost all meaning. But it is also, aside from the FBI stuff and their abuse of law enforcement, the Democrats essentially want to nationalize the energy sector. They have nationalized basically the healthcare sector. They want to nationalize education. So the, that's actual fascism. You know, they 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 want there there is no limiting principle to what Democrats want to do with the economy and how you know. And for me, at least, economic freedom is 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 is, is incredibly important, foundational to other freedoms in many ways. So I just the fascist talk I don't get, though I will admit, you know. It depends how you're using it. I wrote a book called Nanny State, and I, you know, I called everyone around, you know, I called everyone Twinkie fascists and, and fascistic monsters for wanting to take away my air conditioning. But I'm not, you know, obviously I was not being completely serious. So, though in truth, I think that those nanny states initi- uh, nanny state initiatives were actually sort of training wheels for the kind of authoritarian status stuff that's going on now. But you know. I don't want to give myself too much credit for, for, for making, you know, for, for, for making those warnings. But um, also wanted to mention that yesterday, but I'm sort of continued on in that vein and, 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 you know, gave some speech against gun rights and the Second Amendment, where he repeated the most idiotic talking points. He's been using these for, for, for decades like, you know, you couldn't buy cannons in the revolutionary era. You couldn't get any gun you wanted, which is false. Obviously, you could have cannons. You can even buy a cannon right now if you go on eBay, if you really want to. But others as well. But my favorite one of his little talking points is when he says that AR-15 will do nothing to stop the government. We have F-15s and we will just basically atomize you. Literally two days earlier, Lindsey Graham mentioned that there would be rioting in the streets, which is a kind of phrase I think people quite often use, you know, to, to signify that there will be anger about something. And he was accused of, of, of threatening violence against the Republic by basically every left-wing organ out there. But yesterday, the president threatens to use F-15s against the American people, and it's just no big deal. Right. But also, as Sean Davis and others have have pointed out, you can't hold these two views. A, 
that a bunch of unarmed people on January 6th almost overthrew the Republic, and B, that, you're, that your AR-15 is useless and doesn't really matter. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, so, I, you know, I don't know. It's just exasperating because he's constantly giving the speech and no one fact checks him, you know, in these major well, news. On that people. note, I keep thinking about how the corrupt people at the Washington Post, every single time that Donald Trump claimed that the Russia collusion lie was a hoax, every single time, which was like thousands of times, they marked that as a lie. They would say, we're lie tracking. And he lied. He said that Russia collusion was a hoax when really it's not a hoax. Well, it was a hoax. It was a complete hoax. He was completely exonerated at the end of it. But that lie chat, that lie checker remained. Um, that tabulation of like thousands of lies. Meanwhile, Joe Biden keeps saying the same lies for decades. They don't even check him once, much less tally it up each time he makes the lie or even care about it. Like he also had that comment about the AR-15 having bullets that go faster, four times faster than any other gun on the market, which is just A, not I also true. don't get it. And B, it's just a really stupid talking point. Like maybe you uh, were did you know about- did you know if someone shoots a nine millimeter at you from a handgun, you can duck. Yeah, you can move out of the way. But the <laughs> AR-15, it's a different story. Yeah. I mean, he dropped like 10 gigantic lies yesterday and the Washington fact post fact checker had a had a piece on something. I think Blake Masters, I, I don't even know who it was. Someone some, someone said on, on, on Tucker Carlson's show yesterday, not the president of the United States dropping like 10 huge lies about guns. And didn't we just pass legis- the most important legislation of all time? It was going to save many, many lives, uh, you know. So I hope Republicans remember how useless it is to go along with Democrats on these sorts of issues when basically two weeks later they're calling you a murderer again. Yeah, they, they've learned nothing. They will learn nothing. So many Americans are looking for alternatives to the stock market and are looking to diversify their 401ks into more stable assets. It is considered prudent to place a portion of your retirement income into a precious metals IRA or to invest directly in gold or silver. There are many tax benefits associated with such an investment. Savvy investors know that gold has historically outperformed the stock market and helped the wealthy protect their assets through rough financial storms. Goldman Sachs analysts expect gold to rise to 2500 by the end of 2022. Now is the time to protect your IRA with precious metals. Call the experts at Allegiance Gold, 844-790-9191. Allegiance Gold has been helping Americans protect their retirement and legacy for years. And when you call today, you'll get a bonus $500 in silver free for all qualifying accounts. Just mention this ad. Call 844-790-9191 today. That's Allegiance Gold, 844-790-9191 and get your $500 in silver today. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I wanted to bring up something else that uh, we didn't discuss before the show that just I just remembered quickly, if we could. <laughs> Gorbachev died this week. Uh, the, the last Russian dictator, and I'm writing about this now, but I am really pissed off about all these, the adulation that this man gets. Okay. A, a complete, a, a, you know, retelling of, a false retelling of history. I mean, even in 2011 or, or later, Gorbachev was still lamenting the end of the Soviet Union. He did everything he could not to allow it to, 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 to die. If it was up to him, the Warsaw Pact would still exist and the Soviet Union would exist. He was just a feckless, weak man who was brought to his knees by, by the socialist economy of the Soviet Union. As, you know, not being Stalin is the lowest moral bar possible in the universe, right? Now, he stepped over that bar, but that does not make him a great man. It does not make him a hero. Boris Yeltsin did more. The real hero of that was the Hungarian prime minister, Nemeth. And I was there in 1989 in Hungary when he opened the border to Austria. That that was brave, and that was real, and that help that was the end of the iron curtain which fell before the berlin wall did i know that the visuals of the berlin wall being taken apart brick by brick is amazing but that was the end of it that was not the beginning and that was not the most important event anyway it's just kind of makes me mad to read i forgot what it, you know i think reuter said you know he helped end communism and liberate millions <laughs> he did none of that it's the cold warriors in the united states the american taxpayer uh, and, and many other brave people who did that. It was not Gorbachev. So I do remember that even when he was in power, he was beloved by lefty media. And by lefty media, I just mean like normal media in the United States. They always were praising him. Wasn't it the New York Times that had some editorial that they said, if an alien spacecraft landed on Earth and said, take me to your leader, this was after Perestroika and after the fall, take, take us to your leader, that leader would surely be Mikhail Gorbachev. And it was like, are you kidding me? I mean, between Reagan and George H.W. Bush, who I believe is very undervalued for what a for what a genius he was with foreign policy, to not get credit as the you know leader in this situation is just crazy. I do think that Gorbachev, yes, was weak. He really did have that perestroika vision of having less reins on these other on these Soviet satellites. He didn't manage that well, but that really was his vision to to ease up on some of the control there. He didn't do a good job of managing the dissolution of the Soviet Union, including that he got all sorts of promises that there wouldn't be NATO expansion, but he never got those in writing. Um, 
he to this you know to the day he died he was a fan of Putin's foreign policy right so I don't understand why the left cheers him on so much he was a critic of Putin's draconian domestic policy but the thing that we're really supposed to hate Putin over is his foreign policy and Gorbachev like that there's just you know, Mar- Margot Cleveland has a piece that will be out if it's not out already about how the lefties love an adoration of commie dictator Mikhail Gorbachev is so much more intense than what like Trump did with flattering Putin. And it continued to the day he died, clearly. Yeah. I mean, people forget, though, that like you know, when, when when Soviet republics within that had been within the Soviet Union, not, you know, Warsaw state, you know, Warsaw Pact states like Lithuania, for instance, declared independence. He cracked down there. He murdered people there. They they, uh, you know, some of those Soviet officials were war, were, were, were um, indicted and then put in jail as war criminals in Lithuania and others in abstention. So it's it's worth remembering those sort of things. I mean, I just I'm not saying that we shouldn't be happy that that he didn't use force as others had in 56 and so on. I'm just saying that, you know, that the, the way that it's framed, like you say, is in essence a way not to give the people who really did the hard work credit. Mm-hmm. You, you know, there was a Cold War going on and he would have kept that Cold War probably going on if he had had his way. And like I said, I think in 2011, and even he did a Werner Herzog documentary, I think he, he in each, he lamented that the Soviet Union had ended. And basically, perestroika was, com- real communism hasn't been tried yet, in my opinion, you know? And oh, I still think that's something to, something to celebrate. So let's now turn our attention back to Donald Trump, <laughs> which and the FBI and and the and the raid on his you know in his in his house in Florida. Every day, I just yeah, I am not following this probably as closely as you are, but it just reminds me so much of Russia collusion stuff because every day there's a little leak, you know that that sounds explosive, but then when you really dig deeper, it's not that explosive. They're sending out pictures like if. If we were going, if this is so important, why can't there just be complete transparency? Why does it have to be dribs and drabs in this way that just let you know, sort of kind of like light the fire under 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 the anti-Trump, you know, media and lets them like think of yeah, you know, lets it seem like let, let it allows people to think the worst possible that the worst possible explanation is behind these things. I don't know. I just I, I it just reminds me of Russia collusion coverage. Because it's the exact same thing. And the only thing that's noteworthy are that there are still people so idiotic that they don't realize that everybody else realizes it's just Russia collusion continuation. Like, you think back to the Russia collusion hoax, there were very few of us who were skeptical of that storyline. So what that meant is corrupt DOJ and FBI officials would leak to their allies at the Washington Post and New York Times, little snippets. It was a total information operation. They would leak little snippets, selectively edited, all anonymously sourced. And it made it sound like Donald Trump had in fact stolen the 2016 election by colluding with Russia. 
And all the supposedly wise GOP minds would say, well, we don't know what we don't know. We have to wait and see what the FBI has. We have to wait and see the case that Mueller is building. We have to wait and see. So we waited and waited and waited and waited through multiple elections. And at the end of the day, it turned out that they had nothing except that they had run an operation against the duly elected president of the United States. So after you go through that, to then say the exact same thing when they're doing it now just means you're an idiot. So as soon as the raid happened, basically the entirety of the right said, not today, Satan. Like, this is not going to happen again. We're not doing this again. But you saw... Of course, the Washington Post and the New York Times were doing their diligent co-conspiratorial leak and publication campaign. That's that's what they do. They're propagandists. That's that's their that's their it'd be foolish to expect them to do anything else. But then you had the people who weren't the Washington Post and New York Times acting like that was legitimate reporting. There is no reason anyone should pay attention to any leak filtered through propagandists and co-conspirators at the Washington Post and New York Times. You're an idiot at best if you go along with it. You're probably something much worse. So we're recording this after DOJ puts out a picture of classified documents that they scattered about at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate to take a picture so that they could explain why they had to lack transparency or something. And all of the documents have like a cover sheet that says classified. And so I saw some idiots on Twitter being like, well, this changes everything. What does it change? We already knew from leaks that supposedly this paperwork dispute was about classified documents, although they also point out that they didn't need to be classified to have the dispute because it's really about NARA and, you know, Presidential Records Act. There's nothing changed by a photo unless you're an idiot. And unfortunately, a lot of people, even people who claim to be in conservative media, but have not been in conservative media for years now, um, in any real sense of the word, are like, oh, this is really important. This is re- uh, this photo changes everything, and it doesn't change anything. But also, I think people and correct me if I'm wrong. I think people seem to believe that that's how all that stuff was found, like on the floor, strewn about together. But I'm assuming that they went through stuff and then laid out these folders. Well, of course, they're of and course. took a picture of them. Yeah. They laid things out that we already knew from their leaks were things they had said were there. My favorite part about the staged photo is this is the placement of the Time magazine covers. Like it's a very uh, you know, for this vignette, we're going to put the Time magazine covers. Like I, yes. I, I want to know what those what, what what those documents are. What are they about? I don't understand why we can't know what they are and what they're about. I Oh, Which David, makes do, you me very want, suspicious. do you want sources and methods to be killed? Because that's only someone who wants sources to be killed and methods to be exposed would want to know the justification here. No, I mean, I'm not. I, yeah. You know, I know that that's what they say. But... Actually, can I just take another little step back? Sure. Say when this happened, when this raid happened. You had people on left and right, all kind of agree that the Department of Justice needed to quickly either indict or dismiss charges. Like it couldn't be something that was 
affecting the midterm elections. And we are so close to the midterm elections. It basically just needed to be stopped. It was such a horrible idea. And I would like to share my theory about how this all happened. But let me first um, say this other thing. So yeah. two weeks ago, huge story. New Yorker, Mother Jones, Andrew Cuomo, George Will, everyone's like, they got to explain everything quickly. And instead, you had these weird press conferences where the uh, not so bright lady who's the who's the press person at the White House was throwing Merrick Garland under the bus. Merrick Garland comes out and gives that bizarre press conference where he's like, uh, actually, the real villain is Donald Trump because he went public with this raid. It's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You don't raid a high profile home of a high profile immediate past president and expected to stay secret. But he acted kind of like he thought it would stay secret and he answered no questions. Then they're working to keep this all under wraps. They're fighting even the use of a special master. They're saying simultaneously, we don't need a special master because we've already gone through everything. And also we can't have a special master because of something. They're working so hard to keep everything suppressed. And we're now well over two weeks into this. Wait, are we three weeks into this? Yeah. No, I don't know. Two weeks into this. And there's no end in sight. And this is a disaster for, for the Department of Justice. Well, Garland claimed that, that the search was incredibly narrow and specific. And yeah. yet it wasn't. We know that. He also said basically that anyone questions the, the ethics or professionalism of the FBI was unpatriotic. And meanwhile, he started and they started leaking the minutes after that press conference, or maybe during <laughs> that press conference. Like, we won't leak. We're only going to communicate through court records. And then it was like Washington Post exclusive based on anonymous sources from Merrick Garland's own office. Yes, it's hilarious. Okay, so I do have a theory, by the way, that what happened here is it's obviously just a paperwork dispute. It's a high level paperwork dispute because of the Trump derangement that people have. But it's otherwise like the type of common paperwork dispute you might have with any former president about records and who has them. So they were feeling frustrated that it wasn't going well for them in this dispute. And I think they wanted to heighten the tension with Trump or like make him scared. So they go to this federal magistrate judge or so they go to this magistrate judge seeking to raid his house. And I think they maybe reasonably assumed that that magistrate judge would be like, I am, this is well above my pay grade. I'm going to kick it up to a higher court. But then that didn't happen. Instead, the judge, who's like a crazy buddy buddy of Hillary Clinton's, who's on record saying horrible things against Trump, was like, sure, raid that house, do it today. And all of a sudden they were like, oh crap, we got approval when what we really wanted was like this different operation to pressure Trump and do headlines a different way, working through federal courts. And then everything exploded and they were caught completely buck naked. And that explains why Merrick Garland has been a disaster at managing the PR aspect of this. What do you think? I mean, that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds right. It does. I don't know, but it sounds right. Even, I mean, even... George Will, who who hates Donald Trump, based, I mean, he hates Donald Trump, said that this thing was inherently political, no matter what, you know, the the legal aspects of it are, you know, if everyone's dotting their I's and crossing their T's, okay, it doesn't mean talk. that's not inherently political. We didn't yeah. even talk about the fact that that one dude gets fired who ran apparently yeah. a Mar-a-Lago raid, also was key in quashing 
all of these Hunter Biden investigations, which Martin Cleveland and I have done some reporting on, there were actually investigations into the Biden family business, which has very many different aspects of it, in multiple offices throughout the country. And these multiple offices would do really good reporting. They would discover corruption. They would send their report to headquarters. And then headquarters would just like burn the report. Um, the Delaware office that's supposed to be investigating the Biden family corruption at a snail's pace is very tiny. A lot of agents and a lot of officials say it's just not big enough to handle everything that needs to be handled because it's such a big, important, politically sensitive case. So the same guy was involved in quashing all these Biden family corruption cases. He was involved in the idiotic decision to raid the former president's house that the FBI has been at war with. And he also is on tape talking about how he's like involved in determining whether there's any meddling in the in the 2020 election that he himself was involved in meddling because of his control over the Hunter Biden uh, investigations and, and making sure that people didn't touch anything that was happening there. This is Another, crazy. Yeah. I mean, the FBI has thousands and thousands of employees, but they have like the same group of people who are involved in all sorts of scandals that are harming the country right now. And this is one of the reasons I don't I don't trust anything they say. But I wanted to ask you, there's another story that broke last night. Maybe it was part of this picture story where I guess the um, search warrant was one of the rationalizations for this or justifications for the search warrant was that they were nervous that Donald Trump was going to move, hide or destroy classified documents. But they don't offer any evidence or details on how exactly that, you know, they came about that evidence, which makes me even more suspicious about the whole thing. Did you did you see that? I don't believe a word any of these people say about anything. So I didn't see that. But I just don't believe any leak. I have this is a huge problem for the country. Honestly, I'm, I'm just saying you don't believe a word they say. I don't believe a word they say. I'm actually a big fan of skepticism of government and big institutions and law enforcement. It's good for the country to be somewhat skeptical. But when you literally can't trust the, 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 the most powerful police force at all in the nation, that is, that is a huge problem for this country. I almost perfectly trust them in the opposite way. Like if they say something, I'm like, well, I know that ain't true. So it's the opposite, which is even worse than just being skeptical or like not thinking. I don't think they made their case. I actually actively assume the opposite. Like I assume funny. they wanted to destroy records or something. You, you read history and you're like, why did I ever trust anyone? You know, it's like a Johnson used the CIA to spy on Goldwater campaign. You're like, oh, my God. And reading the FBI's history, I mean, essentially a corrupt a corrupt, uh, you know, institution from 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 its founding on. So this is it's just bad news. Anyway, I'd like now. Do you think it's too early to turn to culture? Did you have anything else to talk about? Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
I don't know. I, I'd love to talk about culture because I saw a movie I really liked. Well, I really liked it, even though it was deeply flawed. Can I talk about it? Of course. That's why we're here. Okay. So, you know, BJ Novak, the writer oh, yeah. slash actor from The Office. Office. So he has a new movie out called Vengeance. And mostly what I liked about it is it just was very funny and very well written in parts. Um, it's very uneven. So if you watch it and you're like, that had an abrupt ending or whatever. You're absolutely right. But it's about this guy played by BJ Novak. He directs the film as well. I think he must have written it because it sounds like him. Um, and it begins with him talking with an actual John Mayer, who's very funny. And they're talking about how great life is when you don't have any commitments. And they're both on the dating scene and they both use women for pleasure without forming commitments. So the BJ Novak character beds some lady that night, you know, he tries to pick someone who would be willing. And later that night he gets a call from someone saying, this is the worst call you're ever going to get. And it's about how his girlfriend had died, but he doesn't have a girlfriend. He just has girls he hooks up with. And it is turns this, out. Are, that, are these spoilers? Should we uh, warn people? I mean, it's, are spoilers early, here. it's early in the movie. Okay. This is all like the opening scene, basically. Okay, okay. So he goes to the funeral of this girl who believed that he was her boyfriend, although he didn't view her as his boyfriend. And she died of an opiate overdose. And the family wants to seek revenge. They think she was killed, not that this was not like a natural overdose. They think she was killed. And so the movie's called Vengeance, and it's all about like ideas about vengeance and about blue America and red America. And it does a great job of making fun of both of those groups and also praising both of those groups. And it does it in a really lovely way that I just, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. Great. Yeah. I've, I've, I've read some good reviews, so I was hoping to, to see it. What makes me laugh a bit here is that you called the movie Revenge before when we were talking about it. And oh, revenge. Vengeance. Vengeance. Sorry. Now, I'm not mocking you, but immediate, there was a movie in like 1989 or 90 called Revenge with Kev, where Kevin Costner has lots of sex with Madeline Stowe. Uh, <laughs> kind of like a soft porn movie. I think Anthony Quinn might be in it or someone like that. And that immediately popped into my head. I'm like, wow, it's really she's getting getting into the classics. I also have a movie I watched, but I've okay. seen it numerous times. One of my favorite movies of all times might be definitely my top 10, might be my top five. It is called Breaker Morant. Oh. It is streaming for free right now on Amazon, probably elsewhere. It is about the, it's an Australian new wave movie about uh, the Boer War, South Africa. And it's a trial movie. It's sort of like a few has the same themes as a few good men, but is just better in every way imaginable. It is, uh, I believe, Mark Hemingway's one of Mark Hemingway's favorite movies as well. Or he's a big I've fan of it. I've never seen it, so I don't. Maybe it is. It probably it is. has Brian Brown. Is that was that his name? Australian actor. He was in like FX and, and stuff like that. Cocktail with Tom Cruise, great actor and some other guys. The guy who played the Equalizer in the 80s on TV. I don't know if you knew that show. But anyway, I recommend this movie highly. I think it's it's just riveting. 
delves into moral questions about obeying orders and the morality of war and how it, it corrupts men and, and just, just an amazing movie, even kind of funny at times. So uh, that was something I watched this week and I wanted to make sure I recommend it to everyone. I asked Mark if we could watch this movie called A New Leaf, which my mom was telling me about, which is Walter Matthau marries this lady for her money. And then his plan is that he's going to kill her. But then he ends up not doing that. That's a spoiler alert. But the movie's from like the 60s or 70s. So yeah, you have to get spoiler. You have to get spoiler alerts before give, give the ending away. But anyway, go on. Um, anyway, I was like, let's watch that. And he said, we've seen it already. And I'm like, no, I, I would remember if I'd seen it. My mom just told me about it. He said, yeah, you made me watch it once before because you said your mom was telling you about it. And then I found like a tweet of mine from 2015 where I publicly said that I had just watched it and enjoyed it. Happens quite often where <laughs> me and my wife are watching a movie and we're like, wait a minute, do we see this? This is garbage. I'm not saying that movie's garbage, but uh, all right. I, oh, uh, you know, I don't know if you have any. Yeah, yeah. We watched The Old Italian Connection. That's a good movie. The Italian Connection. You know, like the car chase one. I could not believe. I know that it's like epic car chase. It was so fun to watch. You know, the it called it. It's called the Italian Job, right? Italian Job. Sorry. Oh my yeah, God. yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's an old lady. I love it. Yeah, sorry. Is there a movie called The Italian Connection? There might. They might. I'm sure there is. Yeah, but the, the Italian, Italian Job. Yeah, the original is sort of one of these British caper movies. Yes. And uh, those movies are fantastic. With that had Michael Caine in it. Yeah. Yeah. Love those movies. Oh, and those... Noel Coward is the other big star of it. There's a bunch of those. I don't remember all their names, but they're really fantastic. I love that era. That car chase. I just want to watch it over and over again. I just really enjoyed everything about it. I'm going to switch gears slightly. I've been watching a show called Junior Bake Off, which is like a, a version of the English baking show thing, but with kids. So I really like the show because the kids are cute and they're so nice to each other and they're really impressive. But the thing is, after every time someone's voted off, the kid cries and makes it makes me feel terrible because it's <laughs> like, don't cry. So I'm always like trying to bet my wife on who, which one of them won't cry, but they all break down. And that is just, it's like torturing these kids. Like there's a nine-year-old and she brings up her cake or whatever. And they're like, it's, you know, they try to be sort of nice, but they're just brutal. And, and the kid, you know, I just, so it's a weird, psychologically okay, it's a but, weird show to okay, deal but with. If you watch Top Chef, those are adult chefs who have been in kitchens with people yelling at them for decades. And they still cry when they get kicked off. It would be too I much know. to expect children not to cry. I just feel like it's too early to be judged in that way on national television and in front of all, all these adults, you know, but I do watch it. I like cooking shows. Do you have any other uh, cultural, cultural things that happen to you this week? Well, no, but I just, so it's, uh, I've been, I've been doing a lot of travel in August, uh, going back to Colorado. So I've been also doing a lot of stuff at Fox when I'm back in town and I went up to New York. This you were in gut, on Gutfeld, right? And that's what I wanted to say. I, <laughs> Sean Davis was making fun of me for this because I actually, I never watch television that I'm on. I never, I don't like to do that. But I watched the show because you pre-tape Gutfeld because it's like, just like any other late night show, an audience comes in earlier in the evening and you tape and then it airs later. 
And I was on with Jim Brewer, and I am a big fan of Jim Brewer, which I don't know why I didn't tell him that because I get nervous around people who are really interesting, you know, former Saturday Night Live type people. And I was just doing this thing that you shouldn't do on television, which is where you forget that you're on television and you just sort of become part of the audience. Like I was just watching him kind of quietly observing. I was just captivated by him. He was really interesting. And I was telling Sean that I was curious how it would play on television. And he said, you were, you were curious how a TV star and known comic would, who has like a history of doing television going back decades, you were curious how that would play on television. I was like, kind of like, you know, there's a difference between an SNL audience and a Fox news audience. So I was just kind of curious. And when he, when I watched it, it was even better on TV than it was to sit there right there in the, in front of him. And it was just really interesting to me. And I think it's funny that I work in TV because I know nothing about the craft clearly, but he was so great. He was so funny and so interesting. Um, I like him. I, I, this is probably stupid to admit, but I don't really watch cable news ever. I mean, I just see highlights on Twitter or whatever. I'm just, it, I, you know, after I'm done writing for the day or whatever I'm doing, I just kind of like don't do. But I, I was thinking I wanted to watch that episode of Gutfell because I've been a huge fan of him for a long time. I think his book, um, The Joy of Hate, I think it's called. He is a fantastic writer. And that is one of the funniest books you're going to read. I, I haven't read all his books, but he's just really great. And I saw that he's his ra- he's getting bigger ratings than those like nighttime, not yep. late night shows on. King of on May- yeah. So that's amazing. I'm really happy for him. And I think he's a he's just a, a super funny guy. And I'm, of course, a big fan of yours. So uh, but I didn't I didn't watch it. I was I was, I was watching Peaky Blinders and <laughs> I hadn't seen uh, season five and six. So I'm trying to catch up. I actually watched a whole night of Fox News, and I don't even know how to turn on my television at my house, but this was in a hotel room so I could watch it. And I was like, this is so interesting. Like, I loved everything. I watched I watched from the Jesse Kelly show, which Sean Duffy was hosting, and I loved that. And then I think it goes into... Jesse Waters? Yeah, sorry, Jesse Waters. <laughs> Jesse Kelly's a good... Jesse Kelly's uh, a giant in the industry, though. Um, oh, no, wait. No, maybe I didn't see that. I Sorry. I watched a bunch of it. I watched Hannity, and I was, like, really into that. And then I watched yeah. Sean Duffy. It was actually guest hosting for Laura, which is a show uh-huh. I do a lot, but that was interesting. And Jimmy Fallon was on, and he was great. Um, I watched The Gutfeld. I watched Shannon Bream's show. I mean, I was like this television business is fascinating. And I mean, just yeah, I, to learn from it. And I was like, I should be watching this all the time. And I, I'm not saying it's not informative or funny or great. I'm just saying that I try to turn the politics off for a bit at night, you know, when I'm watching TV, it's not my, you know, I, I just don't watch that much cable news. I can't, you know, I for, I shouldn't say this. I'm going to say, I, I forgot Sean Hannity was on TV. Yeah. He's like, got, there's so the much, there's topic. so much focus on Tucker that I, I forgot that Hannity was still on. I mean, no, yeah, I've been watching it forever. Yeah, I, I mean, mean all, I, I know. all the primetime shows are rated very highly, but Hannity is like I think very, very much up there in the mix. So, yeah, it was great. Okay. So before I forget, I want to tell all our listeners that they can email us at radio at the Federalist. Oh, um, David, did you not yes. see all those emails from people like backing you up on your drone, on your drone show, and other bad pop culture ideas that you have? 
I thought it was interesting. A lot of people were like sheepishly admitting that they too watch some of these shows. Yeah, someone uh, wrote us and I, I forget the name of shows. I'm not great with them. Maybe neither of us are great with that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, it's called Aerial America on the Smithsonian Channel, I think it was, or maybe National Geographic, I forget now. But in any event, they go from state to state and just have drones going over famous historical landmarks and they talk about them. And it was very soothing on a Sunday morning to watch that. Um, and numerous people agreed with me that that show was, was fascinating and interesting. I don't know, you might get mail I don't get. I'm sure you do. But the, within the mail that we do get, I am I'm winning, right? Yes, I am suspicious about that, but people do seem to support you and your pop culture picks. So there you yeah. go. Okay. Well, I hope everyone will continue to be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray, but that's it for us. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.